math, motherfuckers. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Lyrics for Lunch, the podcast that doesn't really care for music, do we? <laughs> Aha, good one. Thank you. I'm Aviv Rubenstein. I'm your host. <laughs> I am a musician, songwriter, movie writer, and podcast host. And this is a short, this, no, this is not a short podcast. This is a podcast where we explore the hidden meanings behind some of your favorite classic songs, their cultural implications, dispelling some myths etc etc i am one of your hosts but i would be nothing and nowhere without my wonderful co-host who's on a brand new computer mm. this week one miss Lindsay tucker much to my chagrin hi i'm to Lindsay tucker <laughs> um i am journalist co-host of this show and today i am bringing you the story of aviv Tellum. uh well, we're going to talk about Hallelujah, but we have a couple of, of housekeeping issues to deal with first. Oh, shit. So the last couple episodes you heard were the first two episodes of the Famous Monsters mini miniseries. And we had a little bit of a possession problem in that the ghost of Charles Manson possessed <laughs> Lindsay's computer <laughs> and just decided to not listen to the microphone and so if Lindsay's voice sounded a little far away it's not it's blame blame charlie manson yeah um, it's not our fault and then what happened and then what do you mean and then what happened only half the episode actually made it oh yeah yeah and then this morning when we posted the manson episode I, I yeah only half the episode actually made it up and it was the half about charlie manson so I feel like he's Fucking creepy. Yeah, super creepy. He's he's writing Dennis Wilson out of out of his story. <laughs> yeah. Um today we're going to be talking about Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, which is as everyone knows the song from Shrek. And <laughs> Yep. But before we get into that, we have a little bit of mailbag. This is from Jody Pazanisi, friend of the show, who wrote in this is post-Africa, but here's some trivia. John Williams' son, Joseph Williams, was the lead singer of Toto beginning in 1986. John Williams, uh, the famous Oscar-winning composer of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Harry Potter, etc. Post-Africa. Post-Africa. Post the release of the song Africa. Do we know how that happened? Not to get too tangential. Oh, great. So we're doing Africa Part 2. <laughs> So uh, it doesn't really say, but it all, it does say that he he left due to personal problems and then rejoined the band. In so he he sang on Fahrenheit and the seventh one, which is eighty six and eighty eight respectively, and then he left for personal problems, and then he uh, don't they all he returned in twenty ten when the band like reformed. Okay. So is he still with the band? I believe so. Yeah, it's it's it seems like they keep breaking up and re and re and reforming. So they reformed in the 2010s, and then they 
released a bunch of live albums and they disbanded again in 2019 and reformed in 2020, which is like, I don't know why you would do that. Remember I told you, like, I just had to stop yeah, with the Toto. Yeah, it's crazy, like, but yeah. <laughs> it's too much. And he, yeah, so. Excellent. Joseph Great Williams. fact. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Jody. Jody. So as Aviv mentioned, today we'll be doing Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. Mm-hmm. Many of you will, of course, be familiar with it from Shrek, which I think we're really not going to talk much about that until part two. Oh, part two. Yeah, this is a two-parter. Many people will also be familiar. I mean, older millennials will be familiar with the Jeff Buckley cover. I was about to say, uh, Lindsay, I think you mean Hallelujah by Jeff Buckley. Yeah, exactly. Um, Myth busted. Jeff Buckley is one of many, many covers of this song. Um, And Alan Light, author of the book, The Holy or the Broken, Leonard Cohen, Jeff Buckley, and the Unlikely Ascent of Hallelujah, writes, the song has become one of the most loved, most performed, and most misunderstood compositions of its time. Oh, misunderstood. Yeah, so we will find out why. But first, can you tell us what a standard is? Yes. So a standard song is a song that kind of no one owns the rights to. And it's just like, I wouldn't say copyright free, but it's a song that someone wrote and then just kind of gave to the world. Uh, We know a lot of like folk. We know a lot of standards in like the folk genre. Um, so like 500 miles or we shall overcome or a lot of these like protest songs have become standards of the great American songbook or whatever. And so no one really owns it. Um, and ever, anyone is free to do with it what they want. And I actually tried to write a standard when I was in grad school. Oh yeah. Yeah. What I do you tried. mean you tried? So I, I, so I wrote a song and I wrote it in kind of the standard tradition where the, so this is typically the breakdown structure of a standard, which is like choruses that are super simple and catchy and then verses that tell stories, but also can be like swapped out. Like you can write your own verses and then just go back to the same chorus because that's the that's the part that everyone kind of rallies around so um think about the song like what's she gonna do with a drunken sailor right so everyone can hear that song in their head because they've seen looney tunes so that's a stand that's an irish folk standard and the chorus which is the part that you're singing in your head right now is what you're gonna do with a drunken sailor and then it was this kind of drinking game where people would go around the pub and write their own verses seemingly on the fly and then everyone would join back in and sing what you're going to do with drunken sailor again love this yeah and so in 2009 or 10 i wrote a song called christopher the saint which actually references jeff buckley and i wanted to kind of give it to whoever wanted to have it and it didn't take off i am not the new hank williams but um a couple people did fun covers of it, and a, a woman in Indiana told me that it was uh, her favorite song that she's ever heard. And so that's like the greatest compliment that anyone's ever given to me about my music. So maybe we'll go out on that. We can go out on that. Sorry for an, Im- for an immediate digression. <laughs> um, no, I asked for it. My interpretation of a standard was is a little different of yours, okay. and you could kind of tell me if I'm just a complete idiot. Um, I thought of it less as copyright and more as a song that's freed from its original performance or context. I love that. I think I think that we're coming 
to it from the same from we're coming to the same idea from two different directions okay awesome and so hallelujah scholars will argue that what we have here is a rare modern standard Mm -hmm. so um like you said standards were more of a thing like in folk songs and they started to mostly go away by the 1960s because around that time it became expected that singers would also be songwriters right i mean if we if we like look back at our previous episodes something like respect right was on its way to becoming a standard when that went out of vogue and it became wholly aretha's right aretha's performance is the performance but if everyone and their mother had to do a respect version which was kind of the way it was shaping up Mm -hmm. it would become a modern standard okay yeah so we've had a few digressions already and uh (laughs) today this episode is going to take a slightly different format than those that i usually prepare because i want to begin with what happened when i started researching this episode three and a half weeks ago jesus christ (laughs) so do you even remember what i texted you back then i don't i remember the getting the text i'm not ready we have to do manson first (laughs) um sure so Hallelujah had been a song that I'd always loved. I put it on the spreadsheet early on. Mm-hmm. We have a spreadsheet of songs we want to do. Peek behind the curtain. Um, <laughs> There's a spreadsheet. <laughs> if you would like a song added to the spreadsheet, email us. Lyricsforlunch at gmail.com. So, yeah. So, Hallelujah had been a go-to for my emo car karaoke when I was alone with my feelings for many years. But not the Leonard Cohen recording. The one that was my go-to was this woman, Kate Vogel, Vogel, mm-hmm. who apparently played someone named Mia on One Tree Hill. <laughs> okay. Her character sang songs. I literally found this out this morning. Her character sang. So that was like her only thing on the show was, and like, now to Mia for the song. Maybe. I don't, I mean, One Tree Hill fans, please tell us, educate us. Um. So I, until I found out this One th- Tree Hill connection i was like how did i even find this song like it's always been on my ipod for as long as i could remember it's on my phone now you know but my college roommate was obsessed with one tree hill so i texted her name sarah and i was like sarah how did i find this kate vogel song was this you and she was like oh my god i love that song so i'm like okay mystery solved (laughs) it was sarah (laughs) it was sarah she showed me i guess hallelujah the kate vogel version and i immediately fell in love with it I was also familiar with the Jeff Buckley cover, and I knew that it was a Leonard Cohen song, but Mm. whenever I wanted to hear it, Kate was my girl. So in a completely appalling and unprecedented fashion, I'm going to have us listen to the Kate Vogel Hallelujah first this week. Oh, shit. (laughs) I feel that this is tantamount to understanding my journey. Okay. I love love where this is going. I love the (laughs) narrative so far. Sacred chord, David playing. I mean, making a bad bass. You don't really care for music, do you? Well, it goes like this the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, and the major lift. The baffled king composing hallelujah. 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 
Oh, it says in the notes of YouTube as performed on One Tree Hill. Your faith was strong, but you need to prove you saw her bathing on the roof of beauty. She has like the, the Paramore voice of 2006 or seven, which is obviously my jam. Yeah. <laughs> From your lips, she drew the hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, baby, I've been here before. Seen this room and I've walked this floor. Oh, this you is know a this I is a country version. This is a country verse. Before I knew you, I love singing this. It's so hard not to sing right now. And I've seen your flag on the marble arch. And love is not a victory march. It's a cold and it's a broken heart. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Now I have to watch the one tree hill yeah she's That's really gonna be in the, this. <laughs> the next episode when we talk about media i mean it's very like circa early 2000s oh, yeah. like you can tell like, I'm, I'm not i'm glad that there isn't an ornate instrumentation because i think that that super doesn't fit the song but her She's doing a lot with her voice. <laughs> yeah. She also is starting all the verses with well, which drives me fucking crazy. <laughs> well, I heard there was a secret chord. Well, that David played and it pleased the Lord. other feelings you have to get out yeah i mean i saw a video 
online. I, I wish I knew where it was or could find it, but there's this guy who was alleging that like every cover of Hallelujah pretty much sucks because it's supposed to sound like shit, right? Like Leonard Cohen can't sing at all, and the song is perfect. This is his his the case that he's makes is that leonard cohen is is a horrible singer and that's like exactly who should be singing this song because it's a song of like defeat and so every like american idol person who sings this song or the voice or whoever who tries to go on massive vocal runs and there's violins and cellos and timpanis and whatever else is like mis misunderstanding the song that guy is wrong. Cohen said that it's a joyous song, and we're going to go more way deeper into what Cohen has said about the song, but Great. it's not a song about defeat. I love that this guy is wrong. <laughs> but the I think my favorite versions of the song are the ones that are are like overtly melancholy. So like the Cohen version, mm -hmm. the John Cale version, which is the one from Shrek, and the Buckley version, mm -hmm. which I think is actually I think Buckley is like not my favorite because it takes so long to like get to the good stuff he just like jerks off on the guitar for a while so mm -hmm. so when i start researching the song three and a half weeks ago i'm of course looking into the original i want to know everything about how and why cohen wrote it right so the first thing i did was pull up the original recording which first appeared on cohen's 1984 album various positions mm -hmm. so let's all listen to that together now this is also like the thing about folk songs is when you say that this was written and recorded in 1984, I'm like, that's not possible. <laughs> right? Because it like, seems... Seems too new. Yeah. You mean 84 seems too new? Or like the, that, that seems like too late in history for the song to exist. That there was a day that our parents were alive that this song didn't exist in their life. Right, right. The song seems way older. Yeah, it seems like one of those songs that came down from the sky fully formed in like 1821 and just like existed <laughs> forever, which is, I guess, yeah. what makes a good standard. Yeah. All right. Let's listen to various positions. This is the original recording of the song. Now I've heard there was a secret chord that David and it pleased the Lord But you don't really care for music, do you? Yeah, this is this is my jam. It sounds like Twin Peaks. It goes like this. It's funny how I went from like, what the shit is this? And then over three weeks, I'm like, Colin. Oh, 
This is a verse that does not appear in any cover. There's a blaze of light in every word. It doesn't matter which you heard, the holy or the broken. Hallelujah. 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 baby Yeah, I haven't listened to his version in years because my go-to is either Buckley or Kale. And this version, it, like, as the Youngs say, Leonard didn't have to go so hard. <laughs> is that what the Youngs say? Len- yeah, Leonard didn't have to go so hard. Okay, so what you just heard there, though, was we have two verses that we recognize. Then we have two completely different verses. Yeah, the... Uh, can we look at the... I guess the lyrics are like, there's like a gajillion different versions of the lyrics, right? Yeah. So I, I, we are going to look at the lyrics. Um, What are the, what are the verses that we don't recognize? We don't recognize. You say I took the name in vain. I didn't even know. Uh, I don't even know the name, but if I did, well, really, what's it to you? There's a blaze of light in every word. It doesn't matter which you heard the holy or the broken. Hallelujah. Right. That's not in the version that we heard from Kate Vogel, and it's not in, I don't think, basically any other cover of this song. Right. So then we have, I did my best. It wasn't much. I couldn't feel, so I tried to touch. I've told the truth. I didn't come to fool ya. And even though it all went wrong, I'll stand before the Lord of song with nothing on my tongue, but hallelujah. I think that that one is a little less rare in covers. I think there's a Rufus Wainwright version of this song that has the, that one. 
there's a, there's this is one of the most covered songs in history. It's it's unbelievable. I think I know why you recognize that lyric more than the others, but is it um, of Shrek? I have a theory. No, no. Um, okay, so let's just get back to my journey really quick. Please, yes. More about Lindsay. Okay. <laughs> so I'm hearing this and I'm like, okay, there's four verses here. Mm-hmm. Now in the Kate and and the Jeff, we have five, mm-hmm. which and only two are the same. So we have seven uh, unique verses currently. Yes. Math. <laughs> motherfuckers. <laughs> yep. So some of the verses that I had like held so dear are gone. And I'm Googling Leonard Cohen Hallelujah lyrics, and all that's coming up over and over are the ones from the Kate Vogel cover, are the ones from the Jeff Buckley cover. The lyrics that I just read out loud to you were not, not they just weren't printed anywhere. So at this point, I'm like, what the actual fuck is happening? <laughs> what the hallelujah is happening here? Um, I think I was like, is this some kind of like Mandela effect situation? You, like, this is clearly the song. <laughs> you did text me this. You're like, I'm having trouble. Like, I'm having a breakdown on these lyrics. I couldn't point. find them anywhere. And I couldn't find anyone talking about this. Um, and, and then when I was Googling Leonard Cohen, like live performances of the song, he's singing the Vogel and Buckley lyrics in those so um i just really i really wasn't sure what was going on so none of the covers of which there are literally hundreds had those lyrics about taking the name in vain Mm -hmm. and the blaze of light in every word so then i start thinking like okay did jeff buckley or someone else unknown to me rewrite half the song so i started down this rabbit hole and that's when i found the live performance of cohen singing hallelujah the first one that i watched was in the uk and he was using the familiar lyrics plus the last lyric which was the i did my best it wasn't much one right so the one that the one that i find more the one that you found more familiar i started seeing cohen performing the song live with with six verses the buckley verses plus the last plus the last one Mm -hmm. which he loves that verse as do i Mm -hmm. it's a good one um so finally i found a leonard cohen forum that helped me put things into perspective okay kind of kind of here's what i read from user Acteon, who posted this in 2006 hello friends i tried to bring some systematic order to the hallelujah lyrics in the different versions these are the original lyrics from the album various positions he labeled them he or she labeled them so despite all your googling the only original like the original original lyrics you could find was this was this user Acteon, right posted them and numbered them them. yeah so it was original one which was david and the sacred chord Mm -hmm. then it was original two your faith was strong you needed proof that's the and those are the same in basically every version Every yes, and then then we have the third original verse, which is you, you say, say I took, took the, the name, name in, in vain. vain. Then original four verse is I did my best; it wasn't much. The last lyric. Great. Ten years later, this is still from the same user writing this. Ten years later, Cohen published an almost completely changed version on Live Songs' 1994 album. So then he has labeled these lyrics: New One. Baby, I've been here before. I know this room. I've, I've walked, walked this, this floor. floor. Okay. I used to live alone before I knew you. That verse was so, Cohen opens with that verse. Wait, whoa. So Cohen, no David. So no David. <laughs> but but also like okay. So 
I, 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 I'm sure that you'll talk about the kind of the meta-ness of the lyrics of the song, the secret chord, right? We're, we're mm-hmm. doing the same thing with hook, but the balls on him at 10 at the song being 10 years old to start the song saying, I've been here before. I've seen this room. I've walked this floor is like another meta. Like, you know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Let's just yeah. do it. So then new two. this is the second second verse on Cohen's new recording is there was a time you let me know it's really going on below. Now you never showed that to me, do you? Which is also a Buckley verse. Right. One of my favorite verses. Then number three, new number three was maybe there's a God above all I've ever learned from love. How to shoot, how to shoot somebody. That after you. That's an interesting verse too, because all of the previous verses have been like biblical allusions. And now we have like a Western illusion, which I really mm-hmm. love the mixed metaphors. Um, but it's just like, you know, he didn't do this stuff by accident. Right. He didn't write nine biblical verses and one Western verse for no reason. He ag- Cohen agonizes over his lyrics. Good. I mean, may he rest, <laughs> but like he's yeah. what the great one of the greatest songwriters to ever exist. Yeah. He not only agonizes over the the lyrics, but um he well, I don't want to give anything away. Ooh. Move on. Okay. Number four. New four. I did my best. So he he finishes again with the I did my best. It wasn't much. So I couldn't feel, so I tried to touch. New four is also original four. New four is the same last verse as original four. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, great. So out of the four verses of this song that he's now put out twice, only one stayed the same, mm-hmm. and that was the last verse. And this is where we get all seven of the verses that are eventually called down into five for the major covers that we're aware of. So strangely enough, a few years before Cohen published this second version, the Velvet Underground's John Cale presented a cover of the song on a tribute album, I'm Your Fan. This is a Cohen tribute album, which came out in 1991, and it included some of the new verses. Yeah, John Cale. So it's original one, original two. So David, cutting your hair. Uh, Yeah. uh, (laughs) um, Your faith was strong, but you needed proof. Right, saw her bathing on too. the roof. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sam. So it's that's both David and Samson and Delilah. Yeah. Okay. And then new one, new two, new three. End of song. So new three is which one again? New three was maybe there's a God above, but all I ever learned from love. Okay. So we've got that's basically the official cover version that we have going forward those are all the lyrics that when you google them that's what comes up in in the same and then the right yeah you get original one original two and then new one new two new three but kale put out this organization before cohen ever released those new verses cohen put out those new verses in 94 you said but like he could have been performing those new verses for however many years before that oh he was so right okay so there's still all a work of cohen's authorship yes. but it's john kale being like i know you so well that i'm gonna kind of rearrange stuff that is that came from you um so we're gonna listen to kale's 91 recording mm. it's gonna be it's gonna be our best episode just listening to hallelujah <laughs> for two fucking hours 
This is the one that plays in my head. There was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? It goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled king composing, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. You needed proof Saw her bathing on the roof Her beauty and the moonlight overthrew you She tied you to a kitchen chair She broke your throne She cut your hair And from your lips she drew the hallelujah He sounds like David Byrne now He does at times I I really like it I used to live alone before I knew you I've seen your flag on the marble arch But love is not a victory march It's a cold and it's a broken Some other tweaks where Cohen had said it's not a complaint that you hear tonight. 
Hale saying it's not a cry that you hear at night, which is more powerful. And then he also changed the lonely hallelujah to a broken hallelujah. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I did come to find out that um, Cohen was touring to back up various positions and he was swapping in different lyrics uh, different verses as he went but at this point in my research i was just like wait how did kale get these extra verses before cohen ever released them so i found an article in far out magazine that was published last year titled without john kale leonard cohen's hallelujah would have been forgotten (laughs) right Um, That article is basically just a ripoff of a 2017 People article, so this is from People. Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah was a complex, nearly indecipherable musical riddle that flummoxed even its composer. Originally released as a funereal synth-laden dirge on 1984's various positions, he spent years tinkering with the track during live performances in a relentless pursuit to unlock its full melodic potential. Ultimately, it was John Cale who provided the key. The iconoclastic Velvet Underground co-founder, producer, and innovative writer-arranger crafted an elegiac version of Hallelujah that vaulted the song into a rarefied strata of modern standards. Ooh, modern standard again. Hey, and that's the, the, so the elegy is like what you would play at a funeral. And so that, like, this is maybe where I got it into my head that this should be a song of, like, mourning and defeat. Yeah. The media definitely helped you get there which is why we're doing a whole episode on media and the song. So a quick aside about 1984's various positions. This was a murky mid-career release that had been rejected by Cohen's record label, Columbia Records. They legit refused to put it out in the U.S. Oh, shit. After it was recorded, it went to Walter Yetnikoff, who is the president of CBS Records, and he said, quote, What is this? This isn't pop music. We're not releasing it. This is a disaster. They, they put on the radio and they said, does this song sound like... Uh, Z100? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So who is Yetnikoff? Mm. Yetnikoff was at least partially responsible for Michael Jackson's thriller and Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA. Oh, shit. And I love this because when he was rejecting the record, he said, Leonard, we know you're great, but we don't know if you're any good. <laughs> I love... That's like a very... <laughs> that is a very like suit executive... A&R guy thing to say. Yeah. Leonard, we love you. We just don't know whether we like you. Right. What does that yeah. mean, man? Or, or do you have any mass appeal? Yeah. And to put that into a little more context, the record business and pop music in general was changing in the early 80s with the advent of MTV. In 1984, Madonna's Like a Virgin was released, as was Born in the USA. Right. It wasn't obvious that there was a place for the 50-year-old Leonard Collins of the world. And in the decade prior, each of his last three albums had sold less than its predecessor, and he had never had an album in the top 10 in the U.S. That's rough stuff, man. Yeah. So Various Positions was released overseas, and a few months after CBS turned it down, an independent label, PVC Records, put it out in the U.S. And Hallelujah did not make waves. Rolling Stone reviewed the album and didn't even mention the song. Whoa. The first real endorsement of the song came from... John Cale. No. Bob Dylan. Oh. So Dylan heard Cohen playing it, out performing, and he loved it, so he started playing it live. And Dylan's still a massive star because he's Bob Dylan. Right. 
That's late 80s, Dylan. So this is this is an interesting thing that Dylan is doing because this harkens back to like something that would happen in the 60s called Hootenannies, where basically a, a bunch of folk musicians all went in on a, an apartment together in New York, or there was like this flop house, I think Hank Williams or Woody Guthrie owned it. And when they were back from tour, they would all kind of gather around and play the songs for each other that they had been working on or they had picked up along the road. And this is like part of that American standard ethos is that like they would like teach each other these songs. And so Dylan and Cohen come from that era of songwriters and song sharers. And so it's cool that Dylan is like 20 years later still like doing that. Yeah, I I do love that idea too because it is so like traditional mm. Americana, would we say? Yeah, it's it's art for art's sake and it's like um it's like memifying in a in in a pure way, right? Memifying this art that other people wouldn't get a chance to see if it weren't for Bob Dylan, right? Or John Cale or whoever else. Yeah. And it is sort of art for art's sake and, and sharing the love. Mm -hmm. Love okay. that. singer sings the shit out of this song. I don't know if he's not a good singer. It's just that his voice is like not pleasing to the ear. That's true. That's, <laughs> That's fair. Kind of a difference. <laughs> just like different you just he's like flipping it all right i hate to do this to you because i know you love dylan but i don't think we can hear this song eight times uh false. like we're gonna have to just give him a little taste and get out. So let's let's talk about the verses that are that are sung, right? So no changes. These are the original four Cohen verses. Yes, yes. Which makes sense because this is basically the first cover of the song, right? Around the time Dylan was discovering Hallelujah, it was already undergoing transformation. So 
Cohen began touring to support various positions in 1985, and he started adding extra verses and omitting some others, which is not an uncommon thing for him to have done. Mm -hmm. So John Cale, like Dylan, says that he first heard the song at one of Cohen's gigs. This one was at the Beacon Theater in New York City in 1990. Cale said, I was really an admirer of his poetry. It never let you down. There's a timelessness to it. A few months later, the French magazine lays in rock-uptables. Great. In rock-uptables. <laughs> in corruptibles? In rock-uptables. In rock-uptables. In rock-uptables. Okay. Ask Kale to contribute to I'm Your Fan, which was the 1991 Colin Tribute album that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. so kale calls up cohen and asks if he can send him the lyrics being that there's no internet and stuff kale recalled it was a long roll of fax paper 15 verses 15 and then, verses and then i chose whichever ones were really me some of them were religious and coming out of my mouth would have been a little difficult to believe i chose the cheeky ones oh I mean, I kind of take massive issue with this, and we'll get to that when we do the lyrical analysis, which is coming. I feel like the Cohen version one was the cheekiest. I agree. I think cheeky, maybe, <laughs> maybe cheeky isn't the right word. Sure. That's just the word that he's used that he's multiple using. times. Yeah. But sure. I, I, I like the idea that he is picking the ones that make him seem the, less, the least disingenuous about singing about yes. religion. Absolutely. In another account to the Boston Globe, Kale said, I had one of those old fax machines. I went out to dinner and my floor was covered in paper. In various accounts, Kale will say that it was 15 verses all the way up to 15 pages. Whoa. Well, that's weird because the verses are not that long. Exactly. So we're going to talk about how many verses are there for real. Where are they all? Oh. Next week. <laughs> next Wait, week. Wait, next week? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. How are there more than 15 verses? <gasps> I think so. There might be. How many verses are there? I don't know. Oh my god. You'll have to find out next week. Oh my god. So, Alan Light, author of The Holy and the Broken Book, says this about Kale's rendition. Despite his implication that he avoided the spiritual dimension of the song, Kale sensed the elemental power of the biblical stories and languages and returned them to the position of the song's entry point, but then undercut them with the lyrics focused on sexual longing and tragic romance. The juxtaposition of the Samson story, she broke your throne, she cut your hair, followed by the assertion that love is not a victory march, is a particularly inspired bit of soldering by Kale. The shift in perspective that resulted from this edit is also intriguing. Clearly, the you who is overthrown by her beauty and the moonlight is not the same you who the singer moved in. Like a cubist painting, the lyric now surrounds the listener from multiple points of view. Kale created a more perfect union out of Cohen's unnerving marriage of the divine and the damaged, but it came at the cost of a spiritual payoff. Between the reassembled lyrics and the simple arrangement, he truly humanized the song, arguably flattening out the emotional ambiguity but allowing it to retain the mystery and majesty of its imagery. NME called Kale's recording a thing of wondrous, savage beauty. You know, I am convinced. I am convinced that that is completely accurate. I was I was a little skeptical <laughs> when you started, but like I really get it. And you know, you write 15 great verses like 
or how 78 great ver- however many fucking <laughs> verses he wrote but and like but like the juxtaposition you know it's it's the kuleshov effect right so you you compare the the exalted religious verses with the kind of the ones that could be seen as more craven and then the kind of the synthesis of those two things is something really special and mm. even though cohen agonized over the lyrics who knows whether he agonized over that juxtaposition the same way that kale did or even if kale may have done it by accident sure right so we're gonna do a bit of lyrical analysis here oh fuck yeah i'm not i don't love doing this for every song but i am super (laughs) into it for this song because i don't trust that every song every songwriter thinks about lyrics as much as we are thinking about them. Like like we're putting the meaning onto them. And for this, I know that Cohen thought about it 10 times more than we ever will. A thousand times more. Yeah. Also, I love how you're like, I don't like doing lyrical analysis for everything on this lyrics show. (laughs) Well, so that, so that, okay. Like remember where, uh, remember in our talking heads episode once in a lifetime came out before hallelujah by the way which sounds like a lie but is completely true wow um right super weird and i was like you know there's water at the bottom of the ocean that's just like a nonsense phrase that is fun versus so i like lyrical analysis but like not i like like oh there's a comma here what does the comma mean and like i only do that with certain lyricists who i feel have put in the the agony the agony that i'm about to put in sure okay so i'm gonna start off this marathon uh with another quote from the holy or the broken by alan light the word hallelujah has slightly different implications in the old and new testaments in the hebrew bible it is a compound word from hallelujah meaning to praise joyously and yah a shortened form of the unspoken name of god i'm gonna speak it i'll speak it So this hallelujah is an active imperative, an instruction to the listener or congregation to sing tribute to the Lord. Yeah. So, so the Hebrew, the analog for Hebrew and Arabic would be like Allahu Akbar, which is like, God is great. You know, praise God. Um, I have a friend who's a singer and songwriter named Emperor X, and he has a song called Allahu Akbar, which is like, I don't want to say his take on hallelujah, but like it, ha- it it's their cousins. Mm-hmm. I know the song. I know you know the song. We have an audience. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We're not just talking to each other here. I-, I forgot about the audience for a minute. Um, Perfect. So their cousins, was he thinking about the song hallelujah when he wrote that song? I don't know. I can ask him. Okay. Okay, so in the Christian tradition, hallelujah is a word of praise rather than a direction to offer praise, which Mm. became the more common colloquial use of the word as an expression of joy or relief, a synonym for praise the Lord rather than a prompting to do it. Of even the future cut in Medea saying, hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) The most dramatic use of hallelujah in the New Testament is as the keynote of the song sung by the great multitude in heaven in Revelation, celebrating God's triumph over the whore of Babylon. Woof. Cohen's song begins with an image of the Bible's musically identified King David, recounting the heroic harpist's secret chord with its special spiritual power. So this is a quote from the Bible. And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took a harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well. 
and the evil spirit departed from him. That's from Samuel. I have so many thoughts on this already. (laughs) Um, This is light talking. It was his musicianship that first earned David a spot in the royal court, the first step toward his rise to power and uniting the Jewish people. Consider us united. We have an eyebrow raise. (laughs) Then Cohen juxtaposes that with the, but you don't really care for music, do ya? Which Mm -hmm. to me is kind of like the tongue-in-cheek, like... Yes, that is cheeky. Yeah. Because it's not even that you did like you weren't pleased. It's ah, you don't you don't like music. You you you, you don't care for it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like it literally moved the Lord, but you, yeah, you don't give up about that. Whatever. <laughs> As usual, let you do the the heavy lifting on the music theory. But I'm just going to take you there by saying yes. Then he literally describes the harmonic progression of the song. It goes like this: the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall. The major lift. Yes. Now you explain that to us. Okay. So <laughs> if you listen back to our Blues Traveler episode, I did a I did a little music theory lesson talking about the numbers that are associated with each chord in a progression. So first of all, lyrically, Cohen is turning a secret chord into a secret chord progression, right? Because the it is in reference to the secret chord, but a chord doesn't have you can play like a first, fourth, fifth, minor fall, minor third in, in a chord, but like it wouldn't sound good. It would just sound like mud. And what he's describing is the chord progression of the song that he's playing, much like Tenacious D in the song Tribute, which is the greatest song in the world. I don't world. think I know that one. Parentheses, Tribute. Uh, they meet the devil and he says, play the greatest song in the world and they make something up and it just happens to be the greatest song in the world. <laughs> okay. So we talked in our Blues Traveler episode about different numbers associated with the distance between the root note and the and the chord that they're playing. So if the song is in C, the fourth would be F and the fifth would be G. And so you would start the thing on c it goes like this the fourth the fifth and that those are f and g minor fall is the minor third down to the e and the major lift um is back up to the to the a i don't know what it is actually um yeah it, i love the i said this before but i love songs that are talking about the songs that they're about mm-hmm. um talking about themselves in the lyrics <laughs> and it's just like so fucking satisfying to me yeah so there was this guy that I worked with, but he quit recently. Um, and Taco guy? He worked at Taco. Mm-hmm. And he always talked to me about music. I told him about my podcast, and he's like, I would listen to it, but I don't listen to podcasts. I was like, okay. Okay, whatever, And guy. then the hook came on one day, and he was like, hey, did you know this is actually like a really good song that's like actually about pop songs? And I oh, was like- eat, eat my fucking ass, <laughs> Yeah, dude. you should listen to my fucking podcast. It's our second episode. <laughs> Um, yeah. Okay. So the next verse, your faith was strong, but you need to proof. You saw her bathing on the roof, her beauty in the moonlight over through ya. Okay. I have a question mm-hmm. oh, already. Uh-huh. Her beauty in the moonlight or her beauty and the moonlight? It's and. I, for 35 years of my life, thought it was her beauty Me in too. the moonlight. I probably just said that. Yeah, I think you did. <laughs> but that's incredible. It's a song I've heard. I've listened to probably a hundred thousand times. And do you know what this is referring to? Uh, David sees Bathsheba, yes, right? Yes. Someone um, bathing on a roof and he like falls in love with her. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a little bit more horrible than that. Um, tell, me, <laughs> tell me more. 
One night in Jerusalem, King David was walking on the rooftop when he saw a beautiful woman bathing and was struck by her. So he asks his servants, who is she? And he's informed that she's the wife of this guy, Uriah the Hittite, who was one of David's soldiers. But he's the king, you know, so mm-hmm. so he could do whatever he, he wants. He just Pretty takes awesome, what he wants. Baby. He summons Bash- Bathsheba to the palace and he has sex with her. Yeah, why not? And she gets pregnant. As Mel Brooks said, it's good to be the king. Good to be king. Russ says that, my father. So the king decides to try and hide his sin by commanding Uriah to report back from battle, which he does. David figures that him and his wife will pound it out and the pregnancy will look legit. But Uriah stays for two nights and doesn't sleep with his wife. Instead, he sleeps with the servants, refusing to enjoy a carefree romp while his men are all out at war still. So, I won't fuck my wife. My men are at war. I won't fuck my wife. I'll just fuck my maid. (laughs) Ben Affleck plays him in the movie. Ben Affleck. Exactly. Jude Law. Oh, Um. (laughs) So, what does David do? He orders Uriah to the front lines and commands his leader, Job, to purposely leave Uriah exposed to an attack, and he's killed. Yep. And then Bathsheba is mourning, and David summons her to make her one of his wives. She gives birth to a son. In the book of Samuel, where the story is from, it says, the thing that David done had displeased the Lord. Unlike the cord, which pleased the Lord. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I thought that was a little fun to include. And then this son that, that this first son that they had together died. And in total, four of David's sons suffered untimely deaths because of the thing that he had done that the had sin, right, the, the sin Lord. revisited the sin of the father is revisited on the son. Yeah. So this is a story about abuse of power in the name of sex, greed, and lust that just ended in murder and brokenness. Is you, do we think that Cohen is embracing that or is just talking about it as a moment of love because we because we meld it with the verse she tied you to the kitchen chair she broke your throne and cut your hair which is the samson and delilah story which is the the woman is the evil doer right the woman is the evil one yeah but it's another story of sex leading to demise so in the book of judges Ah. samson a nazarite the last of the judges of the ancient israelites falls in love with delilah a philistine who's bribed by the lords of the philistines to find out the source of his strength, which is mm-hmm. his hair. While he sleeps, she orders a servant to cut his hair and turns him over to the Philistines who gouge his eyes out. So there's actually a couple of other Old Testament biblical connections. So my, for whatever reason, my dad was like super into the story of Samson. And so he like told it to me as a bedtime story. I don't what know why. What the fuck? Yeah, it's not. It ain't great. Um, <laughs> but the way it works as like a parable is Delilah asks Samson, what is the source of your strength? And he said, Oh, you know, if you tie me up with a certain rope, I will not be able to break it. Right. He like lies to her to test her. And so he wakes up tied to the tied to something with that rope. And he just like very, he breaks it very easily. And so this like cycle repeats and repeats until he's finally honest with her for some reason. And then she cuts his hair, right? So even the tied you to a kitchen chair is like a reference to the earlier part of that story. Interesting, because in all of the analysis that I read, it was like, oh, Cohen embellished the kitchen chair. Like that wasn't part of it. That's oh. a sexual innuendo, like tying someone up for sex. So, but these are just other people's interpretations, right? Also, so Yaakov could be, have, could have just made that up. But 
that would be extremely strange if he made it up weird coincidence and it was a yeah yeah i kind of want to look that up now i we can look it up for part two i'll i'll talk to my dad and see if he knows what the fuck i'm even talking about yeah let's bring him on just to tell us the story pass (laughs) there was another connection okay so um delilah is a philistine and the david story that we're all super ultra ultra familiar with is david and also goliath and so goliath is a philistine enemy right so david slays goliath who is a philistine okay yeah so it's there's a thread there's a thread but the the thread might just be like that the philistines were the enemies of the israelites for like many many of the episodes (laughs) um said reverend sandy scott in a july 2011 service at saint paul's presbyterian church in prince albert saskatchewan but even after the drama the grasping conniving sinful king david is still israel's greatest poet warrior and hope there is so much brokenness in david's life only god can redeem and reconcile this complicated personality that is why the baffled and wounded david lifts up to god a painful hallelujah the way i interpreted both of these is that they were stories of sex and demise that were Mm -hmm. intertwined i buy that and i found this quote from reverend thomas g casey who is a professor of philosophy at the pontifical gregorian university he said this the power of david and the strength of samson are cut away the two are stripped of their facile certainties and their promising lives topple into the dust the man who composed songs of praise with such a plum and the man whose strength was the envy of all now find themselves in a stark and barren place i i just worry that we're blaming the women in all these stories you know oh, which totally. i guess That's i guess what the, the bible, bible does, does. Hey, right <laughs> That's like the only theme of the Bible. So maybe it's not Cohen, it's the Bible. Yeah, I think Cohen Cohen's doing something different because he he's he's doing a dance with the righteous word and I feel like sexual freedom kind of. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a look at verses three and four and see Right, we're going there. How that works yeah the next verse we're going to do is uh the next verse in cohen's original recording cohen original three yeah you say i took the name in vain i don't even know the name but if i did well really what's it to you and what's it to you is like (laughs) i think does tie a bow into the thing that you were saying which is like we're hearing these stories of sex leading to demise and and degradation but like fuck you (laughs) right yeah literally fuck off it's none of your fucking business god or whoever (laughs) is or whoever is uh judging the way that we give praise or you know whatever right which also leads into the very next verse or it's part of the same verse the very next line there's a blaze of light in every word it doesn't Doesn't matter matter. which you heard the holy or the broken hallelujah i know goosebumps right i'm sweating (laughs) me too I don't, e- I, I don't even know what that means. I don't know if there is any subtext to, in that, though, which is interesting because he, he's a subtextual kind of guy. But like, that's just on its face, I think, what he means, which is like, right. you say I'm, I'm praising the wrong way. Well, eat my ass. <laughs> See, I'm just as good as Leonard Cohen. It's fine. You are. Yeah. Obviously. It's great. And this is what get, gets cut out of the one that ev- the versions that everyone 
knows. Right. Right. It is. Let's look. Let's look at the fourth verse. The Cohen four. <laughs> let's go to Cohen four. And that's the one that he never cut out. Yes. Why don't you read Cohen four to us? Uh, why don't I read Cohen four to you? Because I do not have it in front of me, but I will have it in front of me in just a moment. <laughs> I did my best. It wasn't much. I couldn't feel, so I tried to touch. I I've told the truth. I didn't come to fool you. And even though it all went wrong, I'll stand before the Lord of Song with nothing on my tongue but hallelujah. So I think this one is a perspective shift, like whoever was writing about Kale doing a perspective shift. I didn't come to fool you is a different you than what's it to you is a different you than you saw her bathing on the roof, which is a different you than you don't really care for music. I think there's four different people he's addressing. Yeah. Right. And mm -hmm. this is the audience. This is like the, you know, this is the meta, meta textual stuff again, where he's like, I've told you this story. I'm wrapping it up. Take it or leave it. I'm not lying to you. And I fucked it up, but I'm sticking with my, I'm sticking with it. Right. Nothing on my tongue, but hallelujah. Yeah. And I do think the first, uh, you don't really care for music, do you, is addressing the audience too. You think I always thought it was like the woman that he's singing to that he's in love with. I don't like that. I, I mean, <laughs> this was an, this was an assumption I made when I was like a child. Sure, so sure. There's no real evidence to support that, but that's just the assumption that I made. I definitely uh, probably thought that before I did all this research, but mm -hmm. now uh, having been so deep and like analyzing every line, mm -hmm. it's just my. It's just my feeling that that first one was also a, like a dig at the audience. You pr you're probably right because it 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 implies the same kind of attitude of I didn't come to fool you, right? Like, mm -hmm. listen, you don't believe me? It's fine. I don't give a shit. So here's what Light had to say about this verse in the Holier, the Broken Book. Like our forefathers and the Bible heroes who form the foundation of Western ethics and principles, we will be hurt, tested, and challenged. Love will break our hearts. Music will offer solace that we may or may not hear. We will be faced with joy and with pain. But Cohen is telling us, without resorting to sentimentality, not to surrender to despair or nihilism. Critics may have fixated on the gloom and doom of his lyrics, but this is his offering of hope and perseverance in the face of a cruel world, holy or broken. There is still hallelujah. Most all of the cover versions and interpretations have dropped this verse. Cohen has remained loyal to it. Mm. In 2006, when he was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, he recited this verse in full as the bulk of his acceptance speech. Fuck. <laughs> what a baller-ass move that is. Right? He's pretty awesome. Yeah, may he rest. I know. I keep talking about him like he's alive, as if I don't know he's dead. But, you know, his spirit is with us. His spirit is with us. I mean, this <laughs> is. The, I think this is what this whole song is about, right? Sure. So other verses worth looking at, well, maybe there's a God above. All I've ever learned from love is how to shoot somebody who outdrew you. The Western verse. The Western verse. So this could mean hurting someone before they can hurt you first. Yep. That's exactly how I've always interpreted it from day one. Okay. Me too. But it's not a cry that you hear at night, which was the a kind of a kale change as we know now. It's yeah. What, what, was the, what was the original... It's not um, a complaint that you'll hear tonight. Okay. I mean, same, same. Yeah. It's not somebody who's seen the light. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. Or it's a cold and it's a lonely hallelujah. 
Yeah, so the the time for praise is not just when you're happy. It's like you need the solace of hallelujah in the dark when you're alone and broken. Sure, or the fact that there is both, right? Like for me, yes. this felt like a juxtaposition that it's not like a wailing in the night or something negative in the night, but it's also not a perfect not and somebody who's seen the light thing. Right. It's human yeah, the- and it's broken and it's raw. I love I love it. Fuck, the song's good. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, well, Baby, I've Been Here Before. Or maybe it's Maybe. Maybe I've Been Here Before. I always thought it was Maybe. I know this room and I've walked this floor. You know, I used to live alone before I knew ya. And I've seen your flag on the marble arch, but love is not a victory march. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. I've seen your flag on the marble arch. Love is not a victory march. Is A, great. I feel like I'm saying this too often in in this <laughs> show. But right, like you've planted your flag, you've said that you've won a thing, but it's not something you can win or lose. Right. So to me this goes along with a theme of love and loss and zero sum games. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Some have speculated that this verse may allude to Titus's victory arch in Rome. Which is a monument celebrating the Roman final victory over the Jews in the Jewish war in Judea, 70 to 71 CE, when Jerusalem was raided. So if we're if we're sticking to the biblical references, like you like you have bested my people and my armies, but we still have love and and praise and hallelujah, right? Sure. But also the love is not a victory march. It's a cold and broken. So that's, I guess, okay, let's go to the next verse because my <laughs> this is why I feel like my interpretation is of like love and loss. So mm-hmm. there was a time when you let me know what's really going on below, but now you never show that to me, do you? Remember when I moved in you, the holy dove was moving too. And every breath we drew was hallelujah. So, I mean, I've had at least one experience like this this is obviously about sex uh, what <laughs> yeah Wait, no seriously yeah it's widely accepted that when i moved in you is sex like a man moving in a woman inside I of her swear to you <laughs> i did not ever interpret it like that wow can i give you mine and then you can tell me what the real one is yeah there was it, so I think that this is a direct address to God, and I think that there's probably room for both because we're like mixing God and sex this whole time, right? But there was a time you let me know what's real and going on below, but now you never show it to me, do you? I feel like that's direct address to God, right? Be and and reference to the first verse, which is I once played a secret chord that pleased the Lord, and remember when I moved in you, like move like that feels like moving your stirring your emotions right i still think this whole verse is a direct address. i always thought this whole verse was a direct address i think to God. you're wrong i'm i'm probably wrong but <laughs> this is like fucking melting my brain that it's like that that south park episode which i don't really care for south park but that south park episode where cartman's like all you have to do is write a sex song and change sex to god <laughs> yeah um i also don't care for south park but yeah so the there was a time you let me know what's really going on below i think is it could be literal like what's going on down there sex parts or just 
what's going on below the surface is, is I, how I always interpreted it, actually. I always thought you, it was like, what's going on below the surface? You peddler. You... <laughs> That is horrible. But the remember when I moved in you, the Holy Dove was moving too, and every breath we drew was hallelujah. To me, that is so vividly like a spiritual sex experience where mm-hmm. like I've had experiences like that where the sex feels so connected that it's almost spiritual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Holy Dove was moving too is like that is that connection up up to, you know, the sacred or whatever. Yeah. But the sadness of it is that that's just a memory now. Like, remember mm-hmm. when we had this, but now it's broken. Now it's gone. Yeah. So here's Cohen. The song explains that many kinds of hallelujahs do exist. I say all the perfect and the broken hallelujahs have equal value. It's a desire to affirm my faith in life, not in some formal religious way, but with enthusiasm, with emotion. Dope. Okay. So going to circle right back around to kale really quick because cohen eventually started performing the lyrics as kale had arranged them but as we know the addition of the final verse that he liked so much so he was doing six verses now he was doing all five kale verses plus his original last verse so that yes yes the song's just getting longer and longer yes nearly every cover adheres to the kale arrangement the most Mm. famous i would say being jeff buckley yeah hands down so jeff buckley discovered the kale version in the early 90s and a music editor recalled in the holy or the broken book that he went up to jeff and complimented him on his cohen cover and jeff said i haven't heard leonard cohen's version i know it by john kale great but also (laughs) kind of fucked up i guess yeah i mean it's cool that it's got this other life but like come on man do your research most people at Jeff Buckley's shows didn't know the song and assumed it was his own, and it became kind of his signature. Mm-hmm. So, who is Jeff Buckley? What do you know? Oh, I. So this is you're you're gonna love this because I know a lot about Jeff Buckley. So I'll I'll bang through it. His name was Scott Moorhead originally, and he went by Jeff Buckley, and he was a singer songwriter, potential gay person who released one album which was called grace and then he released a live album which was just like basically grace live and and hallelujah is on both of those things and then he drowned in the mississippi river and it took five days for him to be found for his body to be found and so he is like the thought of in the same breath as like cobain which is someone who has been taken from us a, a, a real um amazing talent who was taken from us too early and no one really knows like why he drowned in the river whether it was an accident or whether it was a foul play of some kind or whether he killed himself unless we know do we know it seems like we know and he had a famous one of his roommates was famous i think he was roommates with like yardley yardley smith from the simpsons there's like a weird connection with his roommate Okay, you look that up. Um, I'm looking it up. He was the son of musician, folk musician Tim Buckley, mm. who began his career in folk music in the 60s and later experimented with jazz, funk, soul, and other like, avant-garde stuff. I don't know why I thought Tim Buckley was his brother. Um, his roommate in New York was Brooke Smith, who is, who is the, the captured woman in Silence of the Lambs. Weird. Like it played, the, played her? It rubs the lotion on its skin or else Ew. it gets the hose again. Her. Okay, gross. Yeah, and she was just like f- 
friend, best friends and roommates with with Jeff Buckley in New York, and was like was on this podcast called "I Was There Too," which is like about you know famous people and people in the famous scenes in movie in movies and she was like oh yeah he was like always annoying me writing this music in his room and like playing guitar at all hours of the night and he was writing grace <laughs> so how fucking annoying okay so as you mentioned like yes he died so his dad tim buckley also died at age 28 and jeff was 30 when he died mm-hmm. jeff only met his dad once when he was eight or could only recall meeting his dad once but his Whoa. and he he always said like oh like my dad had no effect on me but people who knew him said oh my gosh he could perform <laughs> well that's a fucking lie yeah, yeah he knew his dad's catalog in and out he knew every single song like his music had a huge effect on him but jeff came up in new york city in the new york city music scene in the early 90s in 1992 after he'd made a name for himself playing in bars and clubs in in the city including his version of hallelujah mm-hmm. he was signed to columbia records which was home to bob dylan and leonard cohen and that Makes is sense. when he made Grace, which you were talking about. Which is an amazing album. Somehow his version of Hallelujah is not the best song on the record. Mm-hmm. Well, let's listen to his version of Hallelujah. So the original version is a little over four and a half minutes long. This one is seven minutes long.
Baby, I've been here before I've seen this room and I've walked this floor You know, I used to live alone before I knew you And I've seen your flag on the marble arch And love is not a victory march It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah So he hits like a seventh in that moment a seventh chord that is not in the original version that makes it just so much sadder. Yeah. So he's singing like one note lower than everyone else, one note in the scale lower than everyone else, and it adds nice jazzy texture to it, but it also makes it like, well, I'm going to go die now. Which he did. Which he did. Let me know what's really going on below, but now you never show. But remember when I moved in you And the holy dove was moving too And every breath we drew is hallelujah 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 Hallelujah
the reason I know all that stuff about Jeff Buckley is because that song that I tried to write, or the song I wrote that I tried to make like a standard, the third verse is about Buckley and it's like about his death. Really? Yeah. I feel like you should have mentioned that. I just did. (laughs) So the thing that I keep, the thing that feels like it keeps happening is, you know, the thing that we where you're saying, like every successive album of Cohen's was like doing less and less business. Mm-hmm. It seems like the opposite is happening with every successive cover of Hallelujah. So like Cohen released it and it flopped and then Dylan did it and people are like, oh, and then John Cale did it and they're like, oh, and then now Buckley's doing it and people were like, this is the version. He wrote the song. And so it's like, it's like build, it's like compounding. Sure. Okay. Or not. I'll go fuck myself. No, it did. It absolutely did. That's like kind of the long tail of Hallelujah, which Mm -hmm. is a big theme of a next episode. The thing about Grace, though, is that it didn't chart in the US. Mm -hmm. It briefly made it to the top 50 in France and the UK. Rolling Stone's review of Grace said the young Buckley's vocals don't always stand up. He doesn't sound battered or desperate enough to carry off Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. What? <sighs> Guys, this, this, I feel like this show is just like a drag fest of old Rolling Stone articles. Because, <laughs> like, we keep finding times that they just like royally fucked up. Right. And I did find the times, um, disagree with rolling stone and say that um buckley's hallelujah may be the single most powerful performance of a cohen song outside of mr cohen's own versions i don't necessarily agree with that either but sure so rock critic robert christgau am i saying that right Mm. he's a pretty famous rock critic from what i could tell uh he wrote in the village voice about buckley it's wrong to peg him as the unwelcome ghost of his overwrought dad. Young Jeff is, syn- is a syncretic asshole. Let us pray the force of hype blows him all the way to Uranus. What the fuck? <laughs> so if this, this album must, wasn't... This had to have been published before he died, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. So this was like a <laughs> Jeff post... Jeff Buckley, dead at 30. What an asshole. Sure. So he really found fame in death. Right. So let's talk about his death really quick, because from my research, he he died in a river accident at age mm-hmm. 30. He was on his way to a show and he stopped by a river with a friend and he was like, oh, I he was like going on as like the late show. And they he was like, I know this river where I used to swim when I was a kid and like, let's go hang there. Yeah, and this is the Mississippi River. He or the. A spot, I mean, like a spot on the Mississippi yeah, yeah. River. I'm, I'm just, I'm just providing context that this isn't like a creek. This is like a, this is the Mississippi. This yes, is like a, thank a you. Big, yes. A big, big yes. deal. I think I was misconstruing that, but he, yeah. there was a spot that he knew from childhood where he was like, oh, I used to go swimming there, so let's go. So he waded in with his clothes on and got sucked up by a fierce current. Mm-hmm. And the medical examiner testified that his talks report was clean okay yeah so his friend says that like one minute he saw him and then he he heard like a speedboat coming and like he could see that the the speedboat was creating uh you know big waves and he like yeah and he like called out to jeff and he said like one minute he was there and the next second he could he was gone and then he like never saw him again 
Yeah, very mysterious. So I didn't mean to imply that he killed himself, but like it, it is this kind of ethereal, mysterious disappearance, and it took five days for them to find him. Right. His body, I mean. And then, yes. Yeah, so after this death, it, this death became legendary. He became legendary. A few days after he died, you 2 paid tribute to him at the second annual Tibetan Freedom concert. Mm, okay. I know. Um, but today, Grace has sold more than 3 million copies worldwide, eventually earning gold sales status in the US and going six times platinum in Australia. And Jeff Buckley has a cult following in Europe. In 1998, Q Magazine readers voted Grace the 75th greatest album of all time. Right. Which, I, which is, I mean, Grace is a, a, a great record. Um, and he's got like a bunch of tribute albums and, you know, he's got the, the, full, the full treatment. Right. Um, of Buckley's Hallelujah, Alan Light writes, It rippled out to the world, resonating as if Jeff Buckley had written his own epitaph. Years later, NPR said that the song sounds almost ghostly, a fitting statement for a singer who's still finding new fans from beyond the grave. This is the, this is the first review of, hi- of him that I agree with. You know, like, like people are like, he sucks, and other people are like, he's the best. And I think that this is right. Like, it sounds like he's singing from beyond the grave already. Sure. Yeah. And before he died, here's what he said about Hallelujah. Whoever listens carefully to Hallelujah will discover that it's a song about sex, about love, about life on earth. The Hallelujah is not an homage to a worship person, idol, or God, but the Hallelujah of the orgasm. It's an ode to life and love. Great. I don't know if I necessarily (laughs) agree with that, but sure. Every breath he drew was Hallelujah. I guess so. Except for that last one, which was full of water. A that was Oh, bad. no, he didn't drown. My bad. That was bad. Uh, so next week, we're going to talk about the Lost Verses and all the ways pop culture has co-opted the song, often to Cohen Chagrin. Now mm-hmm. I've said Chagrin twice in one episode. Mm-hmm. And Love why it. Alan Light calls Hallelujah a musical Rorschach test. Interesting. Okay, so we've gotten seven verses of Hallelujah total, which is the original Cohen four and then the Kale additional three. Do we know what the missing eight verses are? So I'm still on the hunt for many oh. of them. Um, there, ha- I've been deeply involved in message boards, and I've got oh, some man. some hearsay verses from people who claim to know. And I'm hoping that by next week, because I still have a week to go, that uh, I will have some more definitive answers for you. And you, and you said that there are more than fifteen, right? The fifteen were the ones that he sent to Kale, but you you've been teasing me that there. Are more than that those yes it, it is my belief that there are well more than 15 oh my God. and that cohen was almost maniacally writing verses to hallelujah for years i love that because that's just the, the kind of the standard ethos you know mm-hmm. okay so what are we going to go out on this week we should go out on your song which oh. you said was a standard that involves jeff buckley Yes, so this is a standard that is, like many standards, very historically inaccurate and makes biblical references and talks about Jeff Buckley. And so the song is called Christopher the Saint. If anyone likes it, just take it. It's yours. I mean, it's not yours. It's mine. But like, write new verses to it. Do your thing. Do your worst. Um, and this is this is Christopher the Saint. Keep me 
Where can people find us on the internet? Find us on uh, socials at Lyrics for Lunch. You can find our website, lyricsforlunch.com, where you can support the show. Send us some monies. Uh, you can email as, us. As Lindsay said, she f- has been researching this for three and a half weeks. Literally three and a half weeks. So It's been consuming her. And, <laughs> and it's been driving me crazy. And it's not going to stop because we have a whole other episode to go. Yeah, so email us at lyricsforlunch at gmail.com. What's your favorite version of Hallelujah? Do you have a favorite cover that we haven't mentioned? Not that we haven't mentioned. I, uh, I'm i talking to the audience. Once again, <laughs> Lindsay, you know that we're talking to other people, right? <laughs> Robin, you I know didn't... that the North Pole is real, right? <laughs> So, listeners, if you have a favorite cover of Hallelujah that we haven't mentioned yet, let us know. <laughs> let us know. Please, email on, us. Yeah, email us at lyricsforlunch.com or on socials at lyricsforlunch. And leave us a rate and review wherever you get your podcast. specifically, you know, Apple Music, because they're the, they're the podcast provider. So, the more ratings and reviews we have on Apple Music, the easier it is for other people to find us. Um, and tune in next week for the thrilling continuation. I don't want to say conclusion. The thrilling continuation of Hallelujah. Story of Hallelujah. So until next time, I'm Aviv Rubenstein. I'm Lindsay Tucker. Saying Hallelujah. They tell me Scotty Moorhead, the boy just drowned While looking for his sweetheart down in Tennessee It took a hundred hours for him to be found But while he was drowning you could hear him sing Christopher the Saint Bless and keep me safe On my travels far away On my travels night and day Mr. Christopher the Saint Christopher the Saint